are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Cover Up. Hello my radio friends. I'm very happy you've tuned in today to hear more from God's Word, the Bible. The Bible is a book of life. Not just the good, sweet and lovely things, but also exposes things that are not very nice. And it is said that truth is stranger than fiction. And today, you will see what I mean. Imagine yourself as a king or queen. You have everything you could possibly want, but see something that belongs to someone else, and you take it for yourself. That is the background of a Bible story I want to share with you today. And you can read this for yourself. It's found in Second Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Later in the program, I want to draw some lessons from this story. It all happened in the land of Israel. King David was on the throne. He was a popular king, and in practically everything, he had success. In that part of the world, there were many small countries, and war was very common, especially in the springtime when it wasn't too hot or cold. Neighbouring countries would often go to war. <laughs> it seems as if nothing has changed in the Middle East, even today. To subdue the Ammonites, who often attacked Israel, the Israelites went on the offensive and entered enemy territory and besieged the Ammonite city of Rabbah. Rabbah was a walled city, as was the case with many cities of that era. And I visited walled cities in Europe and have some idea of what Rabbah would have been like. The besieging army would surround a city, preventing anyone going in or out, cutting the people off from their farms and food supplies. Eventually, when the people who were trapped in the city would run out of food, they would surrender or else starve to death. This was a kind of passive warfare, and the Israelites held a firm grip on the city of Rabbah. The king, who generally led his troops, decided that he would return home to his palace for some R&R, some rest and relaxation, as he was not really needed at the scene of the siege. One balmy night back in Jerusalem, King David was up on the roof of his palace, enjoying the cool of the evening. From there he could look out over the city, and while he was up there he saw something that dramatically caught his attention. There, in the courtyard of her home, was a woman bathing herself. She was very beautiful. At this point of time, David decided he'd like to find out who she was. 
So he sent a servant to find out. The servant came back with the news that the woman was called Bathsheba, and she was married to one of David's mighty soldiers away attacking the Ammonites. Now you find it easy to remember the woman's name, Bath or Bath if you like, Bathsheba, as she was taking a bath. At this point of time, David should have gone downstairs and taken a cold bath too, because what he did next was to give in to his own lust instead of doing what he knew to be right. So he sent some messengers to Bathsheba that the king would like to see her, and so she came. I suppose, at least in those days, it would have been unthinkable to refuse an order from the king. Bathsheba came, and one thing led to another, and that night the king committed adultery and slept with her, another man's wife. It's usually recognised that royalty has privileges that the common people do not have. But the king was to be an example to his people, and should have, above all others, kept the law. David knew that God had said in the Ten Commandments, You shall not commit adultery. A few weeks later, Bathsheba sent a message to the king that she was pregnant. Now, what should David do? Should he admit that he had done wrong, or should he cover up his misdemeanour? A plan was quickly hatched up to bring Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, back from the scene of battle on the excuse that he needed to rest a while. Uriah did come home, and David hoped that he would sleep with his wife and the pregnancy would be attributed to him. But Uriah was an honourable man, and instead of going home he slept at the guard room with the king's personal bodyguard. His explanation was that it was not right that he should enjoy the comforts of home while his fellow soldiers had to rough it on the battlefield. So plan A had failed. So therefore David put plan B into place. The next evening Uriah was invited to the palace to dine with the king. The king offered Uriah so much wine that Uriah became drunk. But instead of staggering home and sleeping with his wife, again Uriah slept in the guardroom. Plan B had failed. Plan C. David wrote a letter to Joab, the commander of the Israelite army, to assign Uriah to the very front of the battle nearest the city gate so that he was in the most dangerous spot. The gate was opened and some Ammonite troops came out to attack. Meanwhile, Joab, obeying the king's orders, ordered his troops back, 
but Uriah and some others were not told, and they were all killed. King David was duly informed. Although Bathsheba was crushed by this news and mourned for her now-dead husband, she became King David's wife. In due course, a baby was born, but it died soon afterwards. David had hoped that people would think that the birth was premature, but the people were not fooled. Tongues wagged, and it became common knowledge that their king, the one person who should have upheld the law, was guilty and had manipulated circumstances to cover up his sin. Ever heard the saying, Be sure your sins will find you out? David had hoped that people would not realise that he had committed adultery on that first fateful night, but the truth leaked out. God knew everything about it, and he needed to make the king who was trying to bluff his innocence admit his guilt and repent for what he had done. So God sent his prophet Nathan to see the king. Nathan began by telling the king a story. I'll read it to you from The Clear Word, a paraphrased version of the Bible. It's from Second Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. And here's what Nathan said to the king. There were two men who lived in the same town. One was rich and the other was poor. The rich man had many sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. He carefully raised the little lamb as a family pet, and it grew up with his children. He would give it food from his table, let it drink from his cup, and hold it in his arms as if it was his own daughter. One day the rich man had a visitor, whom he invited to dinner. But he didn't want to kill one of his own sheep, so he told his servants to go to the poor man's house and take his sheep, that is, his little lamb. He told his servants that if the man resisted, they should take the sheep by force, and that's what they did. At this stage of the story, King David stood up furious at the injustice of the situation described to him in the story, and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this heartless thing deserves to die. I will make him pay four times the value of the sheep, because he had absolutely no pity on that poor man. Now came the bombshell. Nathan gazed steadily into David's eyes, raised his forefinger and pointed it straight at the king, and said, You are that man. At once David knew that the cat was out of the bag. 
His pretense of innocence had blown its cover, and what he had been denying to others had now been revealed. But at the same time, because of the scenario Nathan had presented, David was overwhelmed by his own guilt. He knew that he had done wrong. He'd lived with his own sense of unworthiness for months already, and it wearied him. Sin is like that. It gets to you. You live in a state of fear of being found out, and you're always on edge and often cannot sleep properly. You see, sin, although it's so common because of our sinful nature, is not normal. God created us to live lives of honesty, obedience and purity. That should be our comfort zone. Sin is discomforting, and sin has consequences. Nathan told David what the Lord had instructed him to say, and he told him these would be the consequences. Firstly, in David's existing family, there would be trouble and bloodshed. Secondly, there would be a sexual breakdown with his within his own family as well. Thirdly, someone who was very close to him would do to him what he did to Uriah by sleeping with David's wives. Fourthly, although David's actions deserved the sentence of death, his life would be spared, but the innocent child, unborn at that stage, would die. And fifthly, there would be a social consequence where, as it says in verse 14, because you have shown such disregard for God's law and for human life and have ignored what God has said, others who wish to ignore God's standards will claim your actions as an excuse to ignore them. Stunned by the enormity of what he did and the enormity of the consequences of his crimes, David was deeply repentant. Added to that, when the baby was born to Bathsheba, it became sick and soon after died, adding grief to David's already troubled emotions. We're going to stop here have a little break and go on straight afterwards. Living 
David had certainly been fanned out. But you know, like him, when we are convicted of guilt and what has been held in secret comes out into the open, one has a sense of relief. You probably know what I'm talking about. King David, as you may know, was very musical. He wrote many lyrics for songs to the Lord. And many of these are recorded in the book of Psalms in the Bible. And it's obvious when you read those Psalms that in them, David poured out his feelings to the Lord. Psalm 51 was written after David's moral breakdown with Bathsheba and Uriah. And I'll select several verses from it, but why don't you read Psalm 51 yourself? And keep in mind what David had done. He said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my sins. I have sinned against you, and you were the only one who knew about it. What I did in secret was all the more wicked, because I knew you were watching me but I did it anyway. You're justified in declaring me guilty and have the right to condemn me. You look for purity and truth of heart, but for this I need wisdom and strength, which I don't have. Use hyssop to purge my sin with blood from the sacrifice, and I will be clean. Wash me, and then I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a right spirit within me. Don't ask me to leave your presence, and don't take the Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing heart to obey you. 
David was truly repentant and made an earnest confession to the Lord. He acknowledged what he had done wrong. He confessed what he had done. He asked for forgiveness and requested divine help to never make those mistakes again. But although we may be forgiven of our mistakes, consequences of those sins are still likely to follow. And here's what happened to David. Four of his sons died a violent death. The innocent baby, as I mentioned before, died a few weeks after being born. His son Amnon raped his half-sister, that's David's daughter, Tamar. David's own son, Absalom, in an attempt to grab for the throne, slept with David's own wives while David was temporarily exiled. There began a social breakdown throughout the kingdom. People would exclaim, The king did it, so why can't I? What a disaster. But you know, it wasn't all bad. You see, although David had committed adultery and murder, he still had an honest heart. He wanted to be in a right relationship with the Lord. I just read for you what he said in Psalm 51. Therefore he confessed, repented, and by example and by word, endeavoured to live a good, honest life. But there is something even more special, and you may need to give this particular consideration. Some of you may feel like David did. You may feel remorseful and unhappy that you gave in to your lusts and baser nature, and that sin or those sins may be eating away at you. Instead of feeling pure, you feel polluted. John chapter 3 and verse 17 explains something we need to know. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God is not some tyrant waiting for any and every chance to condemn and punish you. Instead, he wants you to live a happy and pure life and has made it possible for you to have it despite what you have done. I've thought about what word you get when you reverse the letters G-O-D. Of course, you get D-O-G, dog. But you know, there is a similarity between God and dog. They say a dog bears no grudges, and I would like to suggest that God bears no grudges. He is willing to forgive anyone who, in sincerity, desires forgiveness. In Isaiah 43, verse 25, God says something about himself. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. 
And again, from the same book, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 18, God has announced, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The Apostle Paul was a very zealous man. Before he became a Christian, he was a fanatical Pharisee. At that time, he was so opposed to Christianity that he could be described as a kind of a terrorist. His mission was to seek out Christians, arrest them, imprison them, and if they did not renounce their Christianity, have them put to death. But he too had a dramatic experience with the Lord. This time while he was on his way to Damascus to arrest other Christians. At that point of time, he did a complete turnaround and became a Christian himself. Later, Paul was arrested and during that time he was given the opportunity to give his testimony to King Agrippa. And this is what he said to the king. It's recorded in Acts 26 verse 17. Paul is telling the king what the Lord said to him. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God willingly forgave David. He forgave Paul, and he is willing to forgive you. He longs for you to come to him for cleansing and healing. So what's stopping you? Go on, do it. You'll be so glad you did.